Well, welcome, and thank you for daring coming to a church during a series on marriage. That's risk, right? That's like high risk, and some might have been a little nervous about that decision, but I'm here to set you at ease. It's going to be a great day, and, uh, and it's really for all of you here today, this subject of relationships with each other. We've been, um, in 2017 so far, looking at the reality of this challenge we felt God speaking to us about being a good neighbor. And how can we be a good neighbor to the homes around us, specifically, you know, the neighboring the eight homes directly around us in a traditional, like, suburbial sense, I guess you'd say. How can we do that if our home is in chaos or if there's work to be done in our house? You know, God really wants us to love our neighbor even though we're working on things in our home. But we need to work on both. We can't neglect ours to, to love our neighbor. We have to love those within our own home. And so we thought, man, we need to dive into this challenge of marriage. And in all honesty, there's been a lot of prayer requests for marriages. When we look at the back of those connect cards, and, and we're open life for a reason, right? We're transparent, we're genuine, and when we're having challenges, we, we're requesting prayer, and we're praying over those, not only for you, but for your friends. And so when we're praying every week for marriages, both in the church and in the community, we were sitting here going, you know what, in 2017, we're going to go all in addressing how we can have the tools necessary to really fill that love tank in our life to where marriage takes that jump forward and really reaches a thriving point. And in fact, we're going as lead team this week down to Dallas to even be trained more on how to help marriages in our community. And if you could be praying for that, uh, that we would just really hear from the Lord while we're on that trip, it would be awesome. And uh, so we're diving into this primary relationship that we're held accountable by God for, and that's the relationship in our home um, with both our spouse and our kids. And, and this is, um, this is kind of how we're going to go at this. Uh, it's really going to apply to everybody. So students, singles, uh, everyone in here can grab some tools uh, to grow. And so we kind of thought of the context of everyone that would be present, right? You have the happy marrieds, those that are just, man, everything is incredible. It's on fire. There's sparks. When you kiss, your leg goes up, ladies. You know, the Brady Bunch thing they used to talk about. You know, it's like, you know, so we're going we're gonna to dive in and, and uh, even be a blessing to, like, stay in that phase of marriage. That would be awesome. We know there are those that are like, I don't think so. I'm, I don't think anything's wrong. It's not like it's that great, but it's not that bad. You know, we're going to help you before it takes that turn for the bad because marriages don't coast and, uh, and there's work to be done probably. So we're going to go for that. Uh, some, you, you're either ready or have just pushed the eject button on marriage and, or maybe you're not quite there yet. Your finger's on the button and you're looking for the right moment to get out. Uh, others, you're, you called it quits already. Um, whether you're separated or divorced, there's a lot of pain, there's hurt, there's risk in being present. In fact, some of these may be listening to the podcast today or the message archive uh, when we upload it tomorrow because it was just too risky to show up live and hear it in this painful season of your life. And then while others, you've lost hope, 
uh, for yourself. Like you look in the mirror and you're just like, man, there's, you're, you're at a down, down, down moment. And um, you've just moved on, but yet you think very low of yourself. And, and I don't know if you know me well, uh, if you hang around me very often, you'll know I'm pretty ridiculously optimistic. Um, and some might say unrealistically optimistic. I just believe there's hope for everyone. And, and I just want to speak that over you and speak that into your life and say, hey, don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on love. Don't give up on life because God raised Jesus from the dead. And our Bible promises us that the same power that was worked within Jesus when he rose from the dead is at work within us. So I don't know um, where your faith is at or where your hope is at, but I've got some hopes for this series. I hope for those that are ready to hit eject, you somehow resurrect your marriage in this series. Uh, that somehow God just does a miracle in and through your life because of the work you commit to do. Uh, really for each other in your home. I hope for those who are just kind of floating in neutral, you're in cruise control on marriage, and you're like, it's not too good, not too bad, you're right in the middle land. Honestly, uh, uh, you would be able to say by the end of this series, I, I've already seen progress. This is amazing. I can't believe this is happening. Awesome, right? Uh, maybe uh, for you who are on fire in your marriage, I pray that you will continue in that season. But you'll find tools if you ever find yourself not in that season. Or even you'll be that mentor or that example for others of how to get through. Because maybe if you're on fire now, you went through the rough. You went through the valley, but survived it. Uh, you are a tool of affirmation and faith in the life of everyone else. And, and we need your, your voice. If you're divorced, remarried, or hoping to remarry, I uh, hope that you will feel the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God, and the faith that you can make this work. Like this, this new marriage you're in can happen, or maybe you'll get married again. I don't know where you're at in that season, or maybe even reconcile that past divorce. I've seen it happen. It's crazy. Singles. When I was, man, 21, 22, somewhere right around there, uh, I read a book called His Needs, Her Needs, How to Secure an Affair-Proof Marriage. Fully single, not even dating anybody. Why in the world would I do that? Something just told me I'm not going to be the husband I need to be unless I become the husband I need to be now, before that season. And you can be, start building that life that will make that perfect spouse for somebody today, no matter your age. And uh, it's just that ability to, to listen and learn something, even in a season that's really targeted to those that are married. You can grasp some amazing truths that will move you forward. And so I want to jump into Scripture because that's where the real life is, right? Ephesians 28 and 29 teaches us something about married life. And it says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. Well, I got one part of that down for sure. I feed my body. It's okay to laugh. I, I am very conscious of that. When I look in the mirror, in all honesty, this masterpiece of a physique takes work. 
to eat this much and not exercise. No, uh, actually, I could care for my body way better, and I am aware of this. And uh, it takes work to care for your body, um, you know, and it's, it's taken no work to get the metabolism I have. And uh, so moving forward, uh, caring for the body is a great reality we have to battle through. And marriage takes the same amount of work as somebody who's exercising. And if you've watched, like, the health of people, you've got somebody on your Facebook or Instagram or Twitter that has said, hey, this is me before and this is me after. And you're like, how did they do that? And maybe you're looking at your marriage the same way and you're the before right now. And you're going, I can't even fathom how I would get this marriage in shape. But the reality is, is there's a way. And somehow you can find it if you do the work and uncover that ability to be the after. Right? Where you're like, man, they're healthier. They're working out all the time. They're like America's Next Amazing Ninja. I don't know how far your friends have gone on social media to tell you how healthy they've become. But you can get healthy. The reality is love takes work. And even the coldest of hearts can love powerfully again with the right workout routine. So today is the big day, Super Bowl. John prayed for Atlanta. I, I'm praying for the same. John, good taste. It's awesome. There, yeah. Uh, you know, but reality is, New England is one of the most winningest teams ever. Is winningest a word? Dispelcheck didn't correct it. So winningest must be a word or it's new. Um, and they're, uh, you know, so you got these, these guys that are just going to go out there and really give it to Atlanta, but I, I just want the Patriots to lose. It's just me. But the Patriots know how to be a winning team. And in the light of the whole football and Super Bowl and reality of today, I thought maybe it would help our minds to have some verbiage that might be along the line of, like, winning. So that's our big idea today, right? Winning marriages are built on the work of love. You could say strong marriages, but let's just say winning so we comprehend it for today, right? It continues in Ephesians 5.33. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And we did a little survey, and if you're using the app, you'll see at the very bottom of your notes, there's the link to the survey. But if you're married and you have some thoughts, um, we asked two questions, and we're really going to be addressing them in the future weeks, but we've used the material you've given us already in that survey in, to kind of direct our talks over the next four weeks. The questions we asked, we asked the wives... How can your husband show you love? Like, how, how effectively do they do that? And husbands, we asked, how can your wife show her respect for you? Like, how has that worked? And we would really love your insight because that will help be the fuel for our future talks. But over the course of looking at this, uh, thank you for participating because there's some great insights already. And... They're going to help us fill in blanks that you're really asking. In fact, the way this series is going to, going to break out, I guess you'd say, uh, we're going to talk today about the work of love, obviously, uh, and the work of marriage. We're going to talk next week about the love languages and even the dialects within those languages. Uh, we're going to talk the next week about being married with children, which adds a whole new balancing game to the challenge of love. And then... The following week is an FAQ, like full on, uh, we're going to answer your questions that day. And, and that's going to be fun, especially with some of them that have already come in. It's a little interesting to be in Starbucks having a conversation 
about how many times should a couple have sex a week that are married. Teens, did you just close your ears before I said that? Anyway, so, you know, it was awesome and awkward. All at the same time, you're like, are they listening? Hey, you know, Brent, our campus pastor at Sumner, speaks louder than most of us. And he's just like, well, uh, I'm reading. And you're like, just shh. Weird church in the back is talking about sex. Anyway, so um, there's, it's awesome. This is needed, though. We need to talk about this. As crazy as that is and awkward and stuff. So your input is helpful. If you haven't given it, do so. You don't want to miss out on your questions being answered. It's totally anonymous. Um, you know, we might try to guess who asked it, but we're really bad at that. So just ask away, and it's all good. Um, so our first thought today is you need more deposits than withdrawals. You need more deposits than withdrawals. There are two clear analogies in a bunch of books that we've been reading on marriage. And uh, you, you either have the love account or the love tank. And the love account, the way this, this example works, is it's like a bank account. So for those of you that are bad at banking, <laughs> and you're bad with your finances, you may use the tank analogy in a second. But the, the reality with a bank, this is the goal, right, is that you put more money in than you withdraw. Or else what happens to your account? It goes bankrupt, and you start paying the fees of overdrafting, and it gets really hard, and you get behind, and you pay interest, and it's stressful, and it's nerve-wracking, and it's hard. Uh, some of you might have just realized that, and you go, that's why I keep getting phone calls from creditors. I'm supposed to put more in than I take out. No, the reality is relationships are the same way is we're making deposits. And when we're in love, when we first meet each other, you know, the reality of these psychologists that write these marriage books that are way more smart than I am, like Dr. Chapman, who wrote The Five Love Languages, we'll talk about a lot next week, that he's talking about this season of in love, this just unrealistic cloud nine, nobody can tell you that this is a bad person for you, you're just blind love. That's going to last about a year and a half to two years. And then reality hits. And that funny thing that they did that was really cute all of a sudden bothers you desperately and that you know I mean it doesn't take long right that like he rolls over and his breath is bad and you're like I married this I'm going to smell this for the rest of my life and what like how does that how does his teeth turn that color at night what happened and you know so it's just these really weird things you know uh, I remember when Dana first put the retainer in she slept with initially. I'm just like, that's awesome. That's interesting. We're, I didn't know about this. You know, so it's just these things you learn. Uh, and so, the, but, but all of a sudden it's like, you know, you forget to kiss them goodbye when you leave. And it's like the tank gets a little lower. The deposit, you know, is, is not a deposit. It's a withdrawal because you're like, wait, they didn't say goodbye or I love you. And they left. Or, you know, just distractions happen. You don't go on a date that week, and then you don't go on a date that month. And it starts to add up. When I was 21, 22, somewhere around there, um, I was $27,000 in debt for reasons various. I just didn't understand money that well at the time. And credit cards, shopping, parties, a bunch of stuff. So I'm, I'm at this low moment where I have all my bills out, I'm in my bedroom with the door locked, 
and I realize I can't pay the rent, which my roommates have already paid, and it's like a few days past when I was supposed to pay them, and I haven't, and I don't have the money to pay them. And I'm stressed, and all of a sudden it just, you get to that like moment of stress where you don't see any options. It was just utter darkness, pain, fear, and I'm like frozen, and I hear my roommates coming up the stairs, and they're knocking on the door. As I have my bills out, they're knocking on the door going, Thad, you have to pay your rent. We do not have the money to cover your rent. And I'm just, I have no answers. I don't speak. They know I'm there. My car's there. And uh, I go and just curl up in the fetal position on the bed and weep. I'll never forget that moment. Like, incredibly painful. Because I, I remember that moment because it was the moment I turned, I just said, okay, God, I give you my finances. I have no clue what I'm doing. And uh, ultimately, my, my finances turned around. And uh, it's a very different story today with finances. Very comfortable with them. And, uh, but that stress, that fear, that crash moment, I think I've had conversations with, with couples that are in that moment. You're looking at your marriage, and you're looking at the realities and stresses of getting where you've got more withdrawals than deposits, and you don't know the answer. There's, there's literally no knowledge of the answer of how you're going to get out of this moment. But God can get you out of this moment. He can give you the insights you need to pick you up, and one step after another step, get you back on your feet again in your relationship. In your love bank, if you would. We understand that it's painful. It's not hard. Uh, or it is hard. <laughs> it's, it's not easy. It's very hard. And this series is here to confront the actual reality that you're facing together. Courageously. Speaking hope, grace, mercy, and a hope for the future. God will never let us down as we sing. So that's the, the deposit one makes a lot of sense to me because I hit low in that area but maybe you're more visual and you need a tank like an actual like jar and you have to envision that tank being full or overflowing is how it works best but the love tank is the other illustration and it's that analogy of you know you've got to you got to be putting deposits of love in that tank because if that tank gets empty it's going to be felt all around you and there's only certain ways that you can fill that tank and certain languages you can speak to get that tank full and these expressions you you, you got to figure them out you got to learn them you got to study them you got to do the work to keep that tank full and again it doesn't fill itself and there's weird things we do that empty those tanks I don't know where you're at in that scenario or what makes most sense to you, but our prayer is by the end of these four weeks, we can make progress in those tanks. In fact, can I just say this? I was singing worship. We were doing worship right there, and I just felt the Lord challenge me. Because some of us have been at that moment where we realized our love tank was empty, but we addressed it. Like we did the work on that, just even a little work. It doesn't take much. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm not like in disaster mode anymore. But you almost feel guilty that you don't feel anger? Don't feel guilty. It doesn't take much to start adding a level to that tank. It doesn't take much to breathe hope right back in 
So you don't have to feel bad and like manufacture anger, <laughs> right? It's, it's okay that it feels good to be loved and you start communicating each other's languages and it starts, that love tank starts to fill. That's good. Don't feel guilty that you're not mad anymore. Does that make sense? That's free, not in the, not in the notes. So you can't be consistently withdrawing or you will bankrupt your love tank. So thought two. Make halftime adjustments. So I said, you know, Super Bowl day, we got to throw some stuff in here. What does the scoreboard say right now in your relationship, in your marriage? On a, if I asked you on a scale of 0 to 10, how full is your love tank? I mean, really, how full is it? And what if you together, as a couple, face that reality, um, face how you arrived at that level in your love tank, and talk it out, work it out. That's what halftime's for. Every winning team makes halftime adjustments. It happens. Every great comeback is built on that halftime talk. But not just the inspiration of it. It's the, it's the moments of courage putting in action whatever is necessary to overcome the results of the first half. Teams don't change who they are at halftime. They just figure out what they need to work on to become their full potential. And so just thinking through that, I, I, I want to challenge you. What can your halftime conversation look like if you're 100% honest and you're like, here's the scoreboard. Zero to ten. How full is the love tank? Have an honest assessment and conversation. Healthy. Calm. And start to think, man, how can we move forward from here? How did we get here? How can we move forward from here? What are our options? We don't have to, you know, I don't want to force you to ask questions that make tension in your marriage. But the reality is, is it's better to have that conversation now. Even if you're in a healthy marriage, to have an honest analysis. It's better to have that before you get the get out conversation, Right? Husbands and wives, if we will love each other like Christ loved the church, we must know where we are at. Here, here, here's a verse that will help you understand the heart of God here. Proverbs 27, 23, and 24 says, Know the state of your flocks. Put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever, and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. Know the condition of your flocks. We can't assume our marriage is just fine because we haven't had any huge fights recently. We got to have the honest conversation. Just where are we at? Know the state of your flock. Know the state of your home. So this means we need to have a conversation afforded us, right? How are we? Uh, how full is your love bank like how full is your love tank have that conversation and figure out okay let's let's do the work now so that we don't have to say get out it's over i'm done thought three choose the highest good for your spouse you know if you read proverbs 31 students it says that a righteous woman saved herself all the days of her life 
for her husband. And, I mean, you look at that and you go, that's the highest good you could do for your spouse is to, to set your emotions, your love, your body, your life aside for your spouse. It's powerful, right? But for us who are married, man, what does that mean to us? Like how do we choose the highest good for our spouse? I mean, 1 Corinthians 13.4 kind of draws us a picture, right? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud, rude. Does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. That's powerful. Jesus demonstrates his love for us by the way he, he gave up his life for us. Took our place, our sins upon himself on the cross. Rose from the grave so that we could have life. He chose the highest good at the expense of his own life and comfort. This is an example of true Love And are we loving each other that way? When we make the choice to choose the highest good for our spouse, we're being selfless. Yesterday, Bob Goff, uh, the author of the book we hand out to our guests. If you're a guest with us today, we have a free book for you at the Connect table. It's called Love Does. It's a great read, talking about whimsical acts of love. But he tweeted yesterday, grace is only hard to give if we're keeping score. Grace is only hard to give if we're keeping score. Well, that 1 Corinthians passage just says it keeps no record of wrongs. That's tough. It's tough not to keep record. That's a conscious decision to choose the highest good for the other person, to forgive, to give grace. And when we really unpack this, we'll unpack this point a little more in the future weeks. Ultimately, this is a teaser today. But when we do, I think you're, and speak the same language and figure out how to do the highest good, like to consider the other's lang- love language and all that, like there's going to be some breakthroughs. But for the next seven days before we get to next Sunday, uh, we need to walk out and really look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 and say, man, how can I do some course correcting, aligning myself to this passage? Maybe you have a record of wrongs you need to tear up, delete, or pray through and address together with the one you love. Maybe you need to get back up and and take on the verse 7 spirit. Love never gives up, never never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Maybe you need to go into this relationship in battle mode. I'm going to defeat. This is the enemy. I'm going to endure. I'm going to head on, get through this moment. What would seven days of being kind to each other look like? Just making a conscious decision to only do good to the one who maybe it's a battle. Maybe they're hurting you. Maybe it's emotional battle. If they're physically hurting you, let's meet. Let's get out. But let's, what feels so good is when you choose to do good. When you choose to build the other up. Thought four, bring the team together. And we've been kind of saying, you know, honest evaluation and assessment. You have to come together. You have to do this. You can't evaluate on your own and kind of keep your secret list of where you're at. You need to have a conversation together. I can almost guarantee that if you're cold, if the love tank is empty, if you've withdrawn everything from the account, 
maybe recently you haven't gone on a date or vacation. You haven't spent focused time together. Maybe you're working opposite schedules. You're always working. You're, you know, one works the day, one works the night. You never see each other. But I can guarantee one common thing, usually, is you're not praying for each other. Maybe even the reality you're not praying with each other. Winning marriages bring the team together. Ecclesiastes 4 says, two people, in verse 9, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But if someone who falls alone is in real trouble, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? Don't, don't tell Dana that passage is in the Bible. Anyway, because the whole snuggle is like hot, help, need air. Anyway, uh, a person stand. Dana's my wife, if you're wondering. Uh, just clarify. Um, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. That last passage is kind of awkward when you're talking about marriages. Don't go out and get a third spouse or something. Just realize that. Maybe we should have stopped at verse 11, communication team. Hint. Wow, that one blew that one. But oh, moving on. Dear Lord. Um, two passages there that are tough to swallow. Um, the Bible is an equal opportunity offender, right? It challenges all of us. You may have heard it before, but those who pray together stay together. And it's true. Prayer brings the team together. Prayer is the huddle of the faith. There's a reason it's called a holy huddle, right? And uh, this, this season, if you're a Seahawks fan, you saw some pretty interesting sideline moments, right? Some anger, some bitterness, some like, you left me out to dry on the field. And they're like, wah, wah, wah. and they're fighting, and they're fighting, and they're like in each other's face, and they're talking way inside the bubble, of talkage. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, they're like kids on a schoolyard jumping around together, like, ha, ah, happy, happy, you know, and you're just going, what happened? And the coaches never had to go over there and spank them or nothing. <laughs> Marriage is like this. Sometimes you just have to get face to face and figure it out. And if you do the hard, confrontational, assertive work of communication, then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're happy. And you're jumping around. And it's like, how did this go from here to here? It's worth the work. It's worth the challenge. You have to come to the table. You have to talk out your challenges. And a willingness to come to the table will make it harder to break up your marriage. Well, our action point today. Obviously, there's no silver bullet for every marriage. But our action point today is pray for your spouse. Because honestly, we think the one thing, if you could start to insert one thing today into your marriage, that would make an impact. It's got to be prayer. Pray for your spouse. And, you know, as cheesy as Christian movies can be, War Room is an interesting movie if you, you know, just want to watch one example. Sorry, if you haven't seen that movie and 
Guys, if your wife watches it, and then you can't find your clothes because your closet's emptied. Those who have seen the movie get it. But uh, the, the reality is she turns her closet into a literal prayer closet for her husband. And, uh, uh, but at the same time, what if we did go to battle in prayer for one another? Like, just go to battle in prayer for one another. How would that change our relationship? One step farther, I don't want you just to pray for your spouse. And that might be all that some of you can do. Maybe your spouse is not a follower of Jesus and they're not going to sit down and kumbaya with you. But pray with your spouse is a difference maker in so many homes. Like sitting, finding that, maybe it's awkward for you. Dana and I are not the scheduled time each day we pray together. We're like pray together, you know, when, when we pray together time. It's not like necessarily the scheduled thing. And, but I'm, for the next month, due to the challenge of the series, we're going to find that space. And we're going to do that, as awkward as it feels. But pray together for the world around you, not just each other, but you do want to pray for each other while you're praying together and see what happens in your relationship. Just as an experiment, right? Every day. Right after service, even if it takes. Before you meet, before you share your zero to ten love tank score, <laughs> might be a good option to pray together. God help us for what is about to be said, right? Um, so just figure out, man, where and when and how you're, how and how and what you're going to pray for will figure itself out. But figure out a where and when. If you're single, you should be praying for your spouse. Just there, not by name. You don't know him yet. You might be, man, I really want that man over there. Let's start praying for him by name. That's dangerous. That is dangerous. And I'm taken. I'm married. So stop. Anyway, the, uh, the you know, you do. It's, it's like, mm, yeah, you know. You start dating and you just start praying for the dude by name. And you go like a week just praying for that dude instead of praying for your spouse that, and then all six months in, you're like, ah, I don't really like him anymore. And you miss six months of praying for your spouse. In all seriousness, don't do that. Don't put a name to it until you're at the altar, right? Or there's a ring on it. So I have this little thing I keep in my backpack. It's this little thing of memories, cute little pictures of babies and stuff. They used to print pictures out. Now they're just on our phones, right? But there's a letter that I was handed on the night before my wedding by Dana. It was written on June 2nd, 1994. So I had not even at that point in time, uh, I had just given my life to Jesus one year earlier. So at that point in time, I had no idea I was even going to go into the ministry. I, I, uh, just interesting. But this is what it says. She sat down and wrote this. It says, to my husband... I've been praying for you recently and I thought it would be fun to write this little note so someday we can look back and read it together. You must be an awesome man of God. (laughs) You know. Anyway, uh, so it says, because I know a lot of people are praying for you. Everyone tells me that someday Mr. Wright will come along and sweep me off my feet. That's you. I'm sure we will both be involved in ministry and I look forward to those days let us always remember to serve Jesus first and then each other I want our family to be strong and built on strong foundation I don't know you strong 
Feel strong? Feel strong? So my girls, I'll just put them on the spot right there. Anyway, I'm trusting that you are my best friend and you will always love me. I promise even now to always love you. Let us continually be in love and may others always see Christ in and through us. Love always, Dana Marie. Pray for your spouse. This was powerful when I read this the night before I said I do. And I, maybe you need to write a letter to your future spouse. Whatever helps you stay in line with God's plan for your life, maybe you need to write a letter to your spouse of your wishes and sit down and dialogue about it together. God's going to do something amazing in your home. And that's going to be evident to your neighbors, to everyone around you, to your family. And it's going to be that life abundant the Bible promises us. And that's the prayer we have for you, each and every one of you. 2017 is going to be a great year. We're going to, we're going to get through it together, right? And we're going to face whatever marriage issues or whatever things are going on together. And I just want to pray life into you now as we do. So God, I thank you for the risk it takes to dive in and really be honest about our relationships, our marriage. I pray that God, you will uh, come and just pour out your mercy on everyone here today. That you will, God, show us your love in such an abundantly clear manner. Some of us have already called it quits and we're in pain right now as as we listen to these words in your word, as we listen to this talk, as we consider this series. God, may your grace overwhelm those that are in that hard, hard moment. God, I pray for each spouse to make a conscious decision to do the work for all of us, no matter where we're at in our relationship, to take that love tank to a higher level of fullness, to overflowing is the goal. God, I pray that we could be honest with one another so that we can actually do the work necessary to grow in love, to do the hard work of love. And God, I pray a specific prayer even over all the students and the singles. May they make the decision now to set themselves apart for the one that they'll invest their life in together. That does so much to fill the love tank of their spouse. God, I pray for this challenge to reach into every one of us. And without you, it would be impossible to do anything we've read about. Without a relationship with you at the center, it's all in vain. We can't do the right things on our own strength. We need the power, the wisdom, and the unction of the Holy Spirit to guide us through and navigate the things of marriage and love. And so, God, I pray right now for anyone and everyone in this room to make that tough choice to follow Jesus for all their days. And if they've yet to choose to follow you, may they make that choice now. And simply say, Jesus... Forgive me of the things I've done that are against you. I invite you into my life. I want to follow you. Guide me. God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to do that together. In Jesus' name, amen.